Welcome to Cruel Summer Book Club, a podcast about change. I'm your host, Jillian Anthony, author of the Cruel Summer Book Club newsletter. And I just want to tell you guys a little bit about what I have been up to this week. Um, That's what I usually do in the newsletter. I write about my life and, um, you know, there is a lot going on right now for me. Um, So a couple of weeks ago, I moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, I got this amazing sublet for the summer. I brought Minerva with me. Um, I've been thinking about moving here in the back of my brain for at least two years probably, I would say three. I think I visited here for the first time three years ago. And uh, I visited in February for the month. I was here during that insane winter storm um, that actually helped me make my decision to move here because although um, I did lose power for about four days and I did lose water for about eight days. So it, it was a very serious situation. And of course, many people were really struggling during that time. I was really well taken care of by people, even though I don't know many people here. I had a warm place to stay with friends, a friend from college who I have not seen since I was 18 years old, um, picked me up and drove me 20 minutes uptown in the very dangerous icy conditions. And, um, you know, Austinites just really, really took care of each other, even though so that was a very dangerous, uh, daunting experience, but it made me want to move here even more because I really want community at this point in my life. So I'm really, really excited to finally be here and I get to spend the summer here, which is I can already tell just going to be such a fun time. You know, I've been settling in, you know, making my house feel more like home. This past weekend, I went tubing with some friends uh, on a river an hour away, which was an absolute delight. And I feel like it's a very, very Texas thing to do. So that was a blast. This past week on the 15th was Minerva's birthday. She turned, Minerva is my cat, by the way, for anyone who is not aware. I'm deeply obsessed with her. I adopted her as a kitten when she was six weeks old in Brooklyn. And that was, you know, about nine years ago. Um, I gave her the birthday of June 15th because I don't know when her actual birthday is. It's an approximation. Um, But she was destined to be a Gemini. Um, She is my steadfast companion. And so before we moved here, I wanted her to be able to be outside a little more because we have a great backyard and patio here. So I got her microchipped. I got her the shot she needs. And she's just been having the absolute best time outside, walking around the yard, exploring, sniffing everything. The other day she came in completely soaked, only on her bottom half. Um, and I have no idea what happened. I will never know what happened. She can't tell me, but it was so cute. And she's just having the best time. And, it, and she's very well behaved. She only goes past the gate when I go out there and walk with her and she follows me out there. Anyways, I was just excited to see her experience all this new stuff. She's meowing right now, just in case you can hear her and, you know, see her experience this new city with me and celebrate another year with her. And she's just such a comfort coming into my new home here. So it was a great week for me. And it is very, very hot here, but it's only going to get hotter. So I'm trying to enjoy as much time as I can outside. I usually talk about in the newsletter too. Um, what I've been reading lately, what's really been affecting me and what I've been thinking about. So um, I've read a lot of books recently, but one I read that I did really enjoy is um, Somebody's Daughter by Ashley C. Ford. She's absolutely everywhere right now. Her book immediately shot to the New York Times bestseller list. She was just interviewed by goddamn Oprah the other day. So this memoir is already a triumph. Um, And I actually know Ashley. I've met her before. 
um, we lived near each other in Brooklyn for a while. And I also interviewed her for um, a Time Out New York cover story a few years ago called New Yorkers of the Year. She was one of the New Yorkers of the Year. And uh, she's so vivacious in person. She has such an envious, enviable career as an author and a television and podcast host. You know, she has talked about how she's been working on this book for a decade. So the book, Somebody's Daughter, is, you know, about her growing up. She had a complicated childhood, as many of us do. Her father was in prison for most of her life for rape. Um, And she, you know, she experiences a lot of really complicated emotions with that. The book explores, you know, her her father continued to write her letters um, her entire childhood, and she never responded to them. But then she does finally see him as an adult. And it's, it's a really... It's a really complicated and beautiful description of how she feels about her father and his crime and then getting to know him as an adult. And then also just so much about her complicated childhood and um, her harsh mother, who she also loves very much. And I think like the, what was so interesting to me about this book is her really vivid descriptions of her childhood and being a child and remembering what it was to be a child. I don't remember any of my childhood. I don't remember most of my life. I don't know. I have an awful memory. It's very hard for me to conjure up those things. And I'm shocked by what some people can remember about when they were kids. Another book like that that I remember so well because of that is Patricia Lockwood's um, Priest Daddy, which is another one of my absolute favorite books. Reading Ashley C. Ford's book this week did inspire me to, you know, start mining some of my own childhood memories and, you know, try to bring some more things up and try to kind of get those details down to the page. So that's what I was working and uh, writing and journaling on this week. So if you're in the mood for a really excellent memoir, go pick up her book. In the newsletter, I also usually talk about something I'm totally obsessed with or about 20 things. But this week, What I've been obsessed with is Discovery Plus. I signed up for a free week-long trial of Discovery Plus. It was, you know, the perfect time for me to do that because I'm I'm here settling into my new home. I'm not going out that much right now. And I'm also, you know, one of the world's biggest 90 Day Fiance fans. So I watched all of A Single Life, which is the 90 Day Fiance spinoff where the people that used to be engaged to people on 90 Day Fiance are now divorced, broken up, and single, and on their own single journeys. And God, it's so great. Uh, What's really interesting about it. So if you watch 90 Day Fiance, like what really interests me about that show is it's a really it's a show about class differences. And I this is what I always talk about when I talk about this show, you know, it just really highlights how we how Americans think how egotistical we are, how we think about people from other places, especially developing countries, often very crass and hard to watch. But this is different because normally the people are in the same country, they're meeting each other IRL even. So they're not on a dating app talking to someone thousands of miles away. If you need something a little mindless, if you need something to make you feel good about yourself, and honestly, they show these really realistic dating scenes of them talking and having these awkward conversations. So to me, it was really fascinating. If you need something like that this week, get your free trial, check it out. I won't be paying $6.99 a month or whatever it is, but I will probably be borrowing someone's password to watch more later. That's what I have been up to this week. You know, as I said in our first episode, this podcast is going to be about having conversations with people about change. Every week, I'm going to talk to somebody very different, um, lots of different types of people from different places, different careers, different backgrounds about the change in their lives um, and how it shapes them, how it was, how, how hard it was 
the lessons they learned, and who they are on the other side of that change. So I thought there would be no better person to have as my first guest than my best friend. And I'm really excited to talk to her today. She is someone I met in New York City eight years ago. She, re- I said the other day, I said it was six years ago. She reminded me, no, it was eight years ago. And then she very randomly pulled out the exact day that we met eight years ago. She keeps lots of notes like that and knows all the facts. She has all the receipts and I'm very different than that. So I really appreciate that about her. Sam and I have been growing closer over these eight years. She now lives in Atlanta. I'm in Austin, but we've always stayed very close and we travel to see each other a lot. She is a writer who in the past six months has really taken control of her own creative life. And I've been wildly impressed by that. She has been publishing all these pieces, even though she has a full-time job as a content marketing manager. That's what I'm trying to do more of in my life. And I just am very inspired by that. She's also training to be a yoga instructor on the weekends, which takes up all of her very limited free time. She's also a huge Bravo and 90 Day Fiance fan. So we can, you know, certainly talk more about that. Um, I'll try not to. And she is the biggest Politico I know. She knows everything there is to know about liberal politics, and she'll tell you all about it. She is Diane Keaton's perfect style doppelganger. And she is obsessed with her dog, Jasper, who is also one of my very dear friends. Please welcome to the stage, Samantha Stallard. Uh, Jillian, what an introduction. So happy to be here, your first guest. I was going to be really offended if it wasn't me. So happy happy you made the right choice. <laughs> I am too. I am so, so glad that you are here. And I'm just so glad that I've had you in my life over these years. Like you have truly been such a lifesaver. And, you know, just someone I look to for so many different things. You teach me so much all the time. So thank you for being here so we can talk about our lives together. You teach me so much all the time. (laughs) The way our lives have paralleled is just insane and traumatic and lovely. (laughs) (laughs) We really seem to go through a lot together. And (laughs) you are you are my soulmate. I've always said that. Thank you. You're my soulmate too. And yeah, I think, I think it would be really nice to tell our love story, how we met, because, you know, so often people are always like, ask couples, how did you guys meet? And that story is always super fun to hear. But I think like for me and you, we center friendships very deeply in our lives. So I want to tell our love story with all that sappiness and gushiness. Me too. Me too. So how do you remember us meeting? (laughs) Oh, girl, let me tell you. Well, first of all, we met through a mutual friend who I went to college with and who Jill studied abroad with. And so I first heard the name Jillian Margarita Anthony my (laughs) junior year of college when our dear friend Wynn came back from semester at sea. And I was so mad that you existed. I was so (laughs) sick of hearing about his new best friend, Jill, and everything you did with Jill. I went to the Great Wall of China with Jill. I went sand surfing in Namibia with Jill. I was like, (laughs) shut up. Stop. You just left me here. And you're talking about all these new friends you have. And I don't care about them. And you, I missed you for a whole semester. So I hated you. And then I had lived in New York for literally one week. And I was hanging out with our friend, Wynn, and he- Who, who, who like, uh, is our mutual friend, Wynn. Our mutual friend, Wynn. Mm-hmm. And 
he suggested that we go to a rooftop in Williamsburg. This was on September 21st, 2013, because yes, I keep receipts. And we made our way to Jillian's apartment. I literally remember what you wore. We were we were in that <laughs> tiny little apartment that you had in Williamsburg, like literally inside the Bedford stop. Like it was it was the my bedroom window was right above that insanely busy Bedford stop. And it was a year of hell. I can't imagine. I mean, you're the door to your apartment was terrifying. It was yeah, people walked out of the subway to my door and then sat on my on my doorstep constantly. Absolutely. And it it was covered with graffiti and like gum and cigarettes. And anyway, it was disgusting. But <laughs> yep. went in your apartment, you put on denim shorts and a, a blue spaghetti strap tank top. I'm such a creep for remembering this. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then we went to some rooftop and drank well into the night. And then my phone died and I had to walk home. Where did you go? I walked from Williamsburg to Bedsty. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's probably and what? At least 30 minutes? Oh, it was more than that. Yeah. I had to cross it. There was crossing a bridge involved. There was, it was a, it was a long ass walk, but yeah. And you didn't like me yet. <laughs> okay. So it's true. I didn't <laughs> like you, but that's, but I don't remember. I mean, I very vaguely remember you coming over to the apartment. I, I, but like what I remember meeting you is when we helped win move. That's when I remember we met. When was that? Yeah. That was probably like a month later. Okay. Because it was right around Halloween. Okay. I have so, a great memory. Uh, Sam has, yeah, Sam has a memory that is 77% better than mine. So thank God. That's very true. I remember we helped Win move out of his apartment and I didn't like you because what I remember is you would just like stand around with one, the lightest thing you possibly could and be like, okay, uh, I guess I'll take this out to the moving truck <laughs> and take like one lamp down however many flights of stairs and like place it on the truck and I was like this bitch is not even helping listen I'll I'll come help you move like I'll be there for moral support and I will move things but like I'm not going to strain myself (laughs) so I like I said I'll help you Swiffer I will be encouraging and but like I'm not moving your desk I'm simply not so that's, yeah. and that's where it started. And then we went on like a friend date and mm-hmm. we went to a bar that we were just going to hang out, but then it ended up being like trivia night. I'm pretty sure it was alligator lounge or crocodile lounge, whichever one was in Manhattan. Right, right, right. Yeah. Cause we yeah. got free pizza, yep. which is their stick. And I think we just like truly opened up to each other, which is something that we share so much is like, we both have a mutual hatred for people who just want to talk pleasantries. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we got into it that first night. We were like, what is, your, what are your daddy issues? Tell me about your first heartbreak. What is your relationship like with alcohol? Like we just, <laughs> those are the three topics we've talked about ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always changing. <laughs> it's, and it's, forever changing but never good (laughs) (laughs) for good never good i know there's always something new bad to happen to you (laughs) that's the basis of our friendship (laughs) 
And then, yeah, we just, I mean, from then on, we were pretty much inseparable. We just kept becoming closer. And, you know, then two years ago about like our, both our lives, like took a really parallel path. I started Cruel Summer Book Club newsletter um, about two years ago after a really tough breakup I experienced. And what was wild about that experience was that Sam was going through it at exactly the same time as me because Sam had called off her engagement two weeks before my own breakup. So Sam called off her engagement, moved out of her apartment in 72 hours um, out of the Upper West Side, moved home with her parents to Atlanta. So her entire life absolutely flipped upside down. And then I had my breakup and then we were experiencing this parallel grief together. So that was an extremely strengthening thing for our relationship, I think. And I think like, well, yeah, it just took us to a whole other level of supporting each other. Yeah, we we checked in with each other every day. And we just completely understood that we were both not okay at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's very hard for other people in your life to take care of you when you're in such a dark place like that. And you're very aware of the fact that you are like a complete and total burden and like suck the fun out of any room that you walk in. (laughs) And we just sort of got to be miserable together. And, you know, sounds awful, but we probably laughed just as much as we cried. And it was, if I always said, if we both have to go through this, Thank God we're going through it together because, I mean, we are trauma bonded. (laughs) (laughs) But in a good way. (laughs) But yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, when you're in the depths of grief or, or in the depths of depression or whatever dark period you're going through, it can feel so it's so overwhelming. You know, you're not yourself. And even like thinking about how you're not yourself in social settings and stuff can be really overwhelming and like hard to deal with. So I cannot even put into words how grateful I was to have you as a safe haven to text and call whenever I needed to no judgment whatsoever. And you like truly did understand where I was coming from. And I mean, all this time later, that's I you'll you'll always be that person for me, you will always I'll always be able to be honest with you and know that you're going to support me through whatever I'm going through. But yeah, I feel the exact same way. Just thank God we had each other to lean on. And we really did lean on each other. Oh, my God. We clung to each other, I think is (laughs) more appropriate way to put it. Yeah. And I completely agree. And it's just so many people have to internalize that pain. Because like you were saying, they don't want to put it on another person and they shove it down, shove it down because of social stigma or just internal fears. But we had an opportunity to not only talk to someone who would listen, but also understood the feeling, you know, we both talked to our moms as well. But also Mm -hmm. our moms have been married since the 80s. (laughs) So (laughs) right. The the immediate pain of ending a relationship that has been the backbone of your existence for years is not something that they have immediate familiarity with. And Mm -hmm. we did. And 
we both understood that some days you wake up sobbing. Some days you wake up like hysterically laughing. And for, I think what I was mad, I was so angry and you were so sad. And that's, we, we really balanced each other that way. And we were able to ask each other questions about how the other one was feeling without putting our emotions on the other person or trying to even understand where the other person was coming from because our, our, our pain intertwined, but it's like we were always on complimentary emotions on each day. And so, yeah, it was just, it was such a rough experience, but I mean, think about, think of everything we did during that time too. I mean, we, we went out in Brooklyn to parties. We went to Amsterdam for God's sakes. <laughs> yep. Sure did. We still, especially you, you still went out into the world and like existed, which is yeah. half the battle, if not more, is not locking yourself away and just feeling sorry for yourself all day long, which I did plenty of. I love to feel sorry for myself. Are you kidding? It's like well, my you were most- you were also in your parents' home. So it was just a totally different situation for you didn't you couldn't go out and live your normal life because you were no longer in your normal life. Completely. I all I could do is sit with my feelings like yeah, all the time. And but I had never really done that. I had spent the last year of my relationship like suppressing, suppressing, suppressing and just learning not to express my emotions and taking care of this other person. And I finally got to be like, Oh, I matter most. That's a new feeling. I get to decide if today is good or bad, not someone else. So it was, it, I, it was like being thrown into the like therapeutic wolves (laughs) being with my parents when all that was happening, but Hey man, we're better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so for cruel summer book club, you wrote a couple of essays and I also interviewed you um, for the newsletter twice. So I interviewed you, you know, very shortly after cruel summer began. And when we were both like very in very fresh grief, then I interviewed you, I think about three months later, which was on the, right after what was going to be your wedding day. And we spent that weekend, me, you, and a couple of other friends, we spent that weekend in wine country on Long Island, you know, enjoying each other's company, having a lot of wine. And, you know, you wrote about that too. And um, I I just wonder, do you want to share whatever you're comfortable with about like that beginning period of your experience and then, you know, how you moved through grief over the last couple of years? For sure. I mean, the biggest feeling for me when we first broke up was relief, which tells you everything you need to know about that relationship when (laughs) that's your initial feeling. And I sort of thought I was good. Like I, I created this false narrative in my head where I was like, I'm so relieved. This is over. I can start over like, I'm good. I'm ready. Let's, let's get going on life again. And I quickly 
learned that that was bullshit and that I did not feel that way. So it was, it was kind of a roller coaster of emotions. It was like utter deepest levels of depression skyrocketed to relief. And then I was like, Oh, I'm, this isn't, this isn't going to be like three months that we're better. This is, this is going to be a long journey. And so I decided, and you and I talked about this. I remember calling you and telling you for the next year, for the next 12 months, I, I'm not setting a goal. I'm not doing anything. I am just going to exist as a like worm of a person, just slithering through life, eating, sleeping, kind of doing my job, (laughs) taking the dog out. But I really, and I, uh, I'm famously a Sagittarius and we can't sit down and I am very go, go, go. Oh, my niece is here. Minerva just came into the frame. Yeah. Minerva is uh, purring on my lap. Sorry. Please go ahead. (laughs) No, it's a nice addition. It sets a good ambiance. Um, But yeah, I, and I'm not that type of person. I'm very goal oriented. I push myself far too much to the point of physical, emotional, mental pain. (laughs) And I, I said for the next year, you're, you're doing nothing. There are no expectations. All you have to do is exist. And that's what I did. And uh, the, the pandemic helped with that for sure. (laughs) That really helped me lay low, but I needed time. And for me, the hardest part was the shame of I'm 30. I was engaged. I had a wedding planned. I thought my life was going in a direction that I have to let go of now. And that was so hard. And everything would set me off. Like, say yes to the dress. One of my favorite shows. Your favorite show. Yeah. My truly my favorite show. Couldn't watch it anymore. Made me sob. I literally walked out of The Lion King, the like live action version, because the lions fell in love. (laughs) which is so sad, but so true. And I was like, why do the lions get to fall in love? (laughs) (laughs) One of my coworkers got pregnant, sobbed for days about that. Like I I remember that everyone else's joy, like was a dagger in my heart. And, you know, that's just part of it. And it sucks, but I was playing the comparison game with everyone in my path and you'll always lose that game every single time you, you have to keep your eyes on your own paper and just trudge forward. And so when I was 30, 31, not dating, not moving, you know, air quotes, moving my life along, racing my biological clock, I was just like, meditating on the couch for a year. And I really, really needed that to suck myself out of this false narrative of what my life was going to look like, you know, move to Connecticut, have kids, get a overpriced McMansion, uh, quit my job, you know? And I also had to really think, did I ever want those things or was that just planned out for me? 
And the scariest part of my grief was being, was, was the realization that I had no idea what I wanted. And I had no idea what my plan was. If someone was like, well, what, what, what should describe your dream life? I'd be like, I don't know. I describe your dream job. I don't know. Just describe your dream day. It's like, couldn't tell you. So I had to do so much work and soul searching and I still am baby. The work never ends. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we both, cycled through and continue to cycle through um, because this is just like what kind of people and women we are. We both went through an extreme like self-help period. Lots of lots of those kind of, yeah, lots of those kind of books. Then we both eventually reached a period where we're like, okay, we're done with that for a while. Yeah. But Jill, I read two Tony Robbins books too. Oh, well, you love Tony Robbins. Okay. That's like my dirty little secret. We don't talk about (laughs) (laughs) You brought it up. I do. Um, you know what? You, I just want to go back to what you said about you really did say I'm giving myself a year to just be. And I think about. I mean, w- that impressed me from the minute you said it. And what else is just wild about that is you really, like you said, you really followed through with that and really did it. And that is very unlike you and your personality and like what you are generally like. Um, so I was so envious of that. And I still am because I couldn't give myself that same grace. I was super hard on myself. I demanded my grief be over long before it was when I didn't meet my own expectations for like where I should be in my grief process. I was super hard on myself, which doesn't help anything that is so useless. Being hard on yourself is it has no utility. The only choice is gentleness. There is no like tough love from within, you know? I was so proud of you for doing that. You just really took care of yourself in the way you needed to. And, you know, you still do. And you've just been so gracious with giving yourself the time you need. Yeah, I really make an effort. And like, it's it's been over two years now. I still can't date. I've tried and it's just, I'm still not there. And I do get envious of women I see who can like get divorced and then six months later, like slap their new boyfriend all over Instagram. And there is part of me that shames myself. It's like, damn, how is she like, okay. And I'm still not, but I'm not, man. I'm still screwed up and that's okay. (laughs) That's just like, it takes, it takes a while. And I would rather just admit that and deal with it and say, I am not good for anyone right now and keep working on myself so I can eventually become good for someone else and someone else can be good for me because it's, I'm just, it was really hard to admit that I am not ready and that intimacy still scares me to death, but it does. I'm still very, very afraid and I don't know when I'll stop being afraid, but I know that I'm working toward that every day and I would, I would love to fall in love again, but I don't know when that's going to happen. And you know what? If it's two more years from now, it's worth the wait to be in a healthy relationship. And I still do not know how to be in a healthy relationship. And I admit that. So I'm trying to learn, damn it. It's really hard. 
<laughs> it is it is hard and you know like I tell you all the time when we talk about this I think something we've both struggled with is like you still feel your pain but the world has moved on a million years ago and they don't want to hear about oh, it yeah. they don't want to think about it and so you know and me and you are a, such a support system in that exact thing for each other too what I always tell you is there is no timeline Life is about doing whatever feels right and makes you feel joy. And you've been pursuing so much joy. There's so much more joy to be found in life than in romantic partnership, which is something we both believe so strongly. You were talking about, you know, like a year ago or maybe six months to a year ago, I feel like you really kind of turned a corner. You were talking about how you felt like you didn't really, you, you couldn't tell yourself what you wanted. And I remember having all those conversations with you. You didn't know what you wanted. You didn't know where you wanted what you wanted your life to be. And you gave yourself time to figure it out. And you also took some really concrete steps to help you figure that out. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. And I can tell you the exact date that I had my epiphany. (laughs) Because once again, I'm a freak who takes lots of notes. So it was October 12th. And October 12th is an important day in my life because it was the day I was supposed to get married October 12th, 2019, which is when we went and danced through the vineyards. And I decided that every year on October 12th, I'm going to do something for me. And until that date doesn't matter to me anymore. And it still does. And one day it won't. And I'm looking forward to that. But for now, it still does. It still stings. So Last year on October, oh, and this year I'm I'm taking myself to see um, Dead and Company. I paid a stupid amount of money for very good tickets. Uh, ticket, I'm going alone. <laughs> I also but, I did not know you were a deadhead, by the way. I, I had no idea. I, yeah, that's that. I mean, deadhead Tony Robbins, Woody Allen movies, like these are these <laughs> are so problematic. Talk about so I. <laughs> I know. Believe me, I know. Okay, Chris Brown music. We all have our problems. We all have our secrets. But um, so last year, and I, I think he might be a special guest on this very podcast at some point, but I spoke to our dear friend, David Odyssey, who is um, an astrologer and does his tarot readings. And he read my birth chart. And it sounds so like such millennial bullshit, which it is as am I. And I, Matt, he just, we talked about my strengths, my weaknesses, you know, as the stars say, and he was able to show me the path of the next few years in my life. And he's, basically said, listen, love is not coming soon, which ironically was such a relief to hear (laughs) when he told me that it's going to be a few years before I find love again. I was like, okay, that's good to know because I can focus on other things because another part of my trauma is to me being in a relationship means losing my freedom and my independence and my freedom is very important to me. And so I was relieved to hear that it's kind, it's just, it's, I'm going to be solo for a while and that's fine. And he also said that I was in a very creative 
time period in my life right now and to get going basically he's like you are you are going to have this creative burst it started a month ago it's going for the next couple years you got to just dive in and even if that's completely not true <laughs> hearing someone else say like now's your time was really really pushed me and another thing i did is i um did a 8 week program through this woman Catherine Andrews who is a life coach and i it, it's a lot of like inner reflection over 8 weeks lots of journaling stuff like that but one of the exercises is to email i think four people close to you and ask them what am i doing well and what am i not doing well and the it was so hard to hear not i don't want to say criticism but um feedback with opportunities for growth <laughs> <laughs> yeah from I, people i hold so dearly <laughs> and i um, i was one of those people and it was also yes. a very difficult task to write um but yeah and I can imagine how difficult a task it is to write because it's so scary. And like, believe me, I had a couple people who were like, you're perfect. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> but um, a very dear friend of ours, Louie, whose podcast is called The Mixed Reviews. You should listen. Um, but Louie really held my feet to the fire and he took no prisoners and I loved him for it. And he was like, girl, you say you're a writer. I don't see you writing. And I was just like, <laughs> he's right. Gotcha. He's right. And it, it was David telling me that now is my time to be creative. Louis telling me, listen, practice what you preach. That just, it lit a fire under me that I did not even know was there. And I started, I mean, I hate pitching. We all hate pitching. Pitching sucks. But I started writing. I started pitching. I started writing on spec and just hoping that someone would pick up an article that I created. Um, I started writing a book. <laughs> I signed up for yoga teacher training. I just went all in baby. And I think I had about a year's worth of energy from just, you know, sitting quietly for 2019 and 2020. <laughs> and believe me, I'm exhausted and I have no time to myself, but I'm very, very happy to be creating and to, and, you know, in my yoga practice, we shouldn't be attached to outcomes, but I am still, <laughs> I've not yet reached enlightenment. So the rush of getting published, learning a new skill and actually seeing yourself get better at it and just growing as a human is incredible. And I will take late nights to have that feeling. And I, I don't define myself through my job anymore. And that's the only way I've ever defined myself. And 
I lost my job in March in the start of the pandemic. At, that's a lie. It wasn't in March. It was in May, but still it was early on. And I, I lost my identity and I was like, who am I if not this job? And I was so jealous of you, Jill, because you, you handled your job loss with such grace and you, and who knows if that's actually how you felt, <laughs> but I, I, was I did, so, I know you did, I know. but go on. But I was just so jealous of you and how free you seemed and just not, not that you didn't care, but you kind of didn't care. <laughs> I, um, I certainly embraced the situation. Let's say that you certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, and then I was like, well, I don't define Jill through her job. Why do I define myself through my job and look how happy she can be. And she read every Harry Potter book in six weeks. And that's really impressive. And <laughs> that, was, that was the best part. That was the best part of early pandemic for me. I know. <laughs> and so I just, I, I had a little breakdown as so many of us did and was like, I have no idea who I am. I have no idea what I want. And I, I just went balls to the wall, finding a new job. Like you've experienced this with me before. If, if I am unemployed, like no one talked to me, I am just, I'm going to get a new job and I will reemerge once that's happened. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I was like, cool, sign me up for unemployment. <laughs> you, yeah. were, you, you were on a journey immediately. Um, but I think that what was amazing about that journey was like, you had already, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I'm, I'm right. You had already done this work with Catherine Andrews, who's also, I'm a big fan of hers as well. She writes this incredible newsletter, The Sunday Soother, and we both have been following it for a long time. And because of the work you did in Catherine's course, you you identified, I want this, I'm interested in this. And you were, you, yeah. I remember you telling me, I want to work for a tech startup again. So yeah. that's the kind of work that you started looking for, but very, but with a lot of intent. A lot of intent. And one thing Catherine forces you to do, which you which you've actually done in the newsletter, is say what your big scary dreams are. We are all so afraid to say what our big dreams are because we think other people are gonna laugh and be like, You'll never you'll never do that. And that was so vulnerable of you to like write it out in the newsletter, your big scary dreams. And I I was, even when I was just writing them for myself, I was like embarrassed, <laughs> which is so crazy, uh, but it's true. And she really forced me to confront what I want. And I've talked about being a yoga teacher since I was 25, literally, and just always pushed it off. Like, later. I'll do that later. There's no time. I'm so busy. I'm so important. And I'm not so busy. I'm not so important. <laughs> and I finally just ripped the bandaid and did it. And it's so much harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> and writing is hard always. And, but yet we put ourselves through it constantly and big scary dreams are hard, but being 
depressed and anxious and complacent is harder. So. Right. Like feeling stuck and feeling disappointed in yourself is harder, which is, you know, something I've dealt with off and on over the past couple of years, like, and even recently. So I've been so impressed by how you've taken charge of your creative life over the past six months. It's been amazing. You've published several pieces, you know, some that have really stuck with me. You wrote about FKA Twigs and um, her abuse uh, from Shia LaBeouf that she came public about and love bombing, which was a really important piece to read. You wrote about how our our work people, our, our uh, colleagues are not our family, which is such a huge topic in the world right now. Um, and something I just completely agree with. And I think we like, we, we very, we have the exact same views on that, that Truly. work should be a job. That's all it should be. We should not be, you know, because guess what? Your job at your, the company you work for is never going to be your family. They actually don't give a crap about you. They'll fire you tomorrow. And babe, they did to me and you. So. Babe, they did. <laughs> Reader, they did. Reader, they did. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm so, so impressed by that. Um, and, you know, I do want to talk about one other big important thing that I think has really helped you in your healing, which is your decision to go on antidepressants. That was something you thought you would were, would never be interested in. So if you want to, why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey for you and how, and how that's helped you since you did decide to go on them? Yeah, for sure. I have always been like very against pharmaceuticals. I think that Western medicine is disgusting. I think the fact that we have TV commercials for pills that you're supposed to go then ask your doctor to prescribe you is revolting. And also in my experience, watching psychiatrists over prescribe people I loved was insane. Like, wouldn't even ask for your medical history or what other medicines you were taking. Just here's a pill. Here's a pill. Here's a pill. And I, I was, I've just, I've always been so disgusted by that. Uh, also, I watch a lot of dumb Netflix documentaries, like about the opioid crisis. <laughs> so <laughs> mm-hmm. it just, like, <laughs> I have a Important. pretty negative headspace. Right. I do the work. I do the research. And so I got a new therapist and I was telling her, you know, the first three sessions are tell me everything that's ever happened to you. And you just got to go through the rigmarole of your every bad thing. (laughs) And she was like, would you consider going on an antidepressant? And I was like, no, I would never do that. I'm offended you would even say that. I'm actually fine. And I hate you for even suggesting that. And I'm thinking of all the reasons that I don't want to work with you anymore. But she made a good case that I was not going to get better on my own. And she told me that I... My body had been running on adrenaline for a couple years because even before my relationship ended, the last year of it was very, very hard. And every 
every day was, I was just on edge and just surviving basically. And my therapist told me that my body had existed in that traumatic state for so long that it, it could no longer just regulate itself and it could no longer say, Oh, actually you're safe and you can chill out that we, we were past that basically. And that my serotonin levels were insane. And so she made a really strong case for, listen, you can go on this dose of Zoloft that's so low that children and pregnant women take it, or you can feel this way forever, which, which do you prefer? And I was like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. And so I started taking it and I, I swear to God, it's changed my life. I am team Zoloft. I'm sure that there are, there's merch out there that I can buy, but (laughs) it's, it doesn't make, it doesn't make your problems go away. It just makes you address them with much more softness than you would have ever before, or I would have ever before I should speak in the first person, but it's, I, I used to have panic attacks where it would feel like someone was standing on my chest. I would just get this intense pressure in my chest. Uh, Like my ears would start ringing. It was kind of an out of body experience where I was like, I was looking down on myself, watching myself freak out, lose, lose my breath and not know how to pull out of it. And I've only had one panic attack since I've gone on it. So it's not a miracle drug, (laughs) but (laughs) um, I, I am just, it's so much easier for me to deal with my problems. When I feel overwhelmed, there's this just sense of Zen where it's like, Hey man, this is a lot of work, but like, we're going to get it done. You know, it might not be (laughs) on the timeline that you wish it was on, but it's cool. Like we'll get there, you know, we're a team, you and me. And so wow. imagine it sounds amazing. Yeah. It's actually great. And I don't want to, I don't want to increase my dose. That is, I've told her that that's really my line in the sand because I just see a very slippery slope of upping your dosage constantly. And I'm sure for some people that's great and it works out fine, but I still have a very intense fear of pharmaceuticals. (laughs) So this is, this works for me, but I know that you've struggled with feeling depressed throughout this period too. And Mm -hmm. do you feel that you have a handle on where you are now? Yeah, I feel, so I've written in the newsletter openly about struggling with depression at various stages in my life. Like two times probably that were the worst were when I moved to New York when I was about 23 years old. And then, you know, in the six to 12 months following my breakup a couple of years ago. So I definitely would not say I'm anywhere near in depression or depressed. But you know, I still struggle, I, I struggle with my mental health and like feeling good in my own brain. And feeling, you know, self-love and self-worth, like these are issues that I continue to struggle with. I have never been on medication. Uh, I I did think about it um, at a certain point 
And I, I even made an appointment with a psychologist. Is that the one that prescribes drugs? I think psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Right, the, give you the fancy pills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even made an appointment and I remember I, I, it was like for like a month later. So when I finally went to the appointment, I was, I was like past it. I, I wasn't, I didn't yeah. want to go on medication. I felt past it, but I remember, um, I, I was crying in the appointment and I just, I think like the biggest emotion that I struggled with was like, you don't necessarily, when you're struggling like that, you don't necessarily know how to help yourself. You don't necessarily know what is actually right. the best decision. And I told the psychiatrist that, and I asked her, you know, in the future, when will I know when it's right for me to go on medication? And she said, when you feel like you need to. I think that was an important lesson I'm going to take with me. I'm not anti-drug. I think that they're extremely helpful for a lot of people. So like, just because I haven't been on them doesn't mean that I won't someday. Um, and I'm so proud of you for like really listening to yourself and trying this, even with all the you know hesitations you have. Like I'm so happy to hear that it's really helped you. That that's so so good. Well, and it's so true what you're saying that like you'll just know because yeah, I put up a fight and I was like I'm not doing that, but I eventually said yes. I eventually was like, okay, you got me, gal. <laughs> I, I surrender. It's time. That yeah. was my choice. And you just, and the thing about how you felt bet like you made the appointment when you were feeling down and then you felt better. It's, it's, it's so dumb, but feelings are weather. They just, they mm-hmm. come and go. And it's, mm-hmm. I remind myself of that constantly because too. the last couple of weeks I felt like just weird and I attribute it to obviously the retrograde and the eclipse because <laughs> obviously I am a, a child of the moon. And, the, but it's just important to remember in those moments, like you're, you're good actually. Like this, mm-hmm. everything is fine. And when I'm super overwhelmed, I do the infamous, therapist song and dance where okay name five things you see name Mm -hmm. five things you hear bring yourself back to reality exactly exactly and once again hate to say it works (laughs) it really does bring you back to reality and you know plus there thank god for bravo and they're constant marathons of it's been a below deck marathon the last couple weeks so that's been really important in my recovery as well and I wish I was kidding (laughs) no I I get that and I think you know that this too shall pass is like the main lesson I've learned over the past couple years and that you know comes directly from um, when things fall apart by Pima Chodron and you know a book that I will I'm sure go back to many times in my life. So for you, Sam, what has been a really important book or, you know, piece of art in any form that has helped you over the last couple of years? Absolutely. So we talked about this on the phone recently, but I cannot stress enough the Great British Bake Off. Oh, yes. <laughs> no stakes just, whatsoever. No stakes whatsoever. No, no one's in love. It's just. No it, one's we're, mean. We're, no one's mean. Like, They're and all so you, supportive of each other. You never see that on TV, ever. Never. That's why I love that there's no cries. It's literally just a big plate. And 
that I think you give back and then they give it to the next winner. So like there's, there's really, there's nothing going on there, but it's just so soothing and comforting and everyone is so supportive of each other. And I constantly cry watching that show. Oh, that's sweet. Constantly. Cause everyone's just so kind to each other and they're always so shocked when they win and they're always British people are so self-deprecating. I just yeah. want to be like, you got, don't talk about yourself like that. Okay. You know, <laughs> that cake last week was not your fault. You mixed up salt and sugar and that, you know, that is, that's on you. Like, I'm glad you take ownership of that, but we've got to move on girl. Soggy so, bottoms. So, soggy bottoms. Soggy bottoms. To of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a soggy bottom right now. It's fine. <laughs> and as far as music goes, it was the Holy Trinity, Maggie Rogers, the chicks and Casey Musgraves. And mm-hmm. That is where I lived for about a year. <laughs> and Just, we we went to a Casey Musgraves show together and separately because we were seated we, separately. We and, sat apart and went together. <laughs> and we, well, I cried a, a lot. I don't know. Oh, if you I did. cried the whole time. Are okay. you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> when she's saying mother, good night. <laughs> Say good night and go. Yeah, I cried the whole time. The whole time. And so just like, Women and their feelings, I was really, really deep into. Taking the long way around, I I played that song. <laughs> I was like, this is me. I am taking the long way around. And I just, I'm different from everyone else. So <laughs> that was incredible. Um, books, I'm so sorry to tell you, Tony Robbins books. Like, I, my secret's out now. I... What was especially interesting about them for me is that he's, he's mean, like he's not a nice person. Like he yells at you a lot. And when I called off my wedding, I was so sick of being coddled. Everyone was so nice to me and everyone felt so sorry for me. And I, I brought down every room I walked in. And I was just so sick of being pitied that the reading someone who was like, yeah, like this is a lot of your fault too. Like you, you messed up and contributed to this failure. It's like, okay, you're right. You're right. I did. How did I, how did I contribute to this downfall? What, what did, what did I do wrong? I wasn't an angel in this relationship. Let's, let's talk about my faults. And so I really needed that kick in the ass at that time. And, you know, I, I loved how straightforward all the vendors were with me because I was, I remember being so afraid to call all the wedding vendors and say that everything was canceled and they were like, great, you can't get of your deposit back. Thanks. And I was just like, Oh, thank God. They're not saying, (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? So I really appreciated his directness. I read a lot of books about the Windsors, the Romanoffs. I love royal families in everywhere, anywhere. So that took me out of it. And I was like, oh, I'm not, you know, up against a firing squad. That's nice. And Diana had it worse. (laughs) And now uh, I finally know more about the royal family because you bought me uh, the, what is it? 
the Royal Diaries. What's her What's her book called? They got oh, me for the Christmas. Diana Chronicles. The Diana right? Chronicles by Tina yeah. Brown. You got me that for Secret Santa along with a note that said, Dear Jill, uh, Princess Diana was murdered by the queen. Um, love your Secret Santa. Yeah. So that Merry was delightful. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all really good. I have obsessively turned to all sorts of art as well in my recovery process that, you know, I write and talk about all the time. Something else I try to really bring into like my daily self-care practice that is some days a lot easier than others is to really bring joy into my life. If you're if I'm down, what can I do differently? What can I what can I do today to bring joy into my life right now? What do you think is like one thing that you really do as far as that goes that every day, you know, something really brings you joy and you try to seek that out. So my go to reset is going on a walk that it's, it's so simple. But for me, I I have to leave the negative space, I have to get out of it. And thank God, I have a dog who's willing to put up with these behaviors from me. And so I just I take Jasper to the park uh, or I go to a museum by myself. I love going to museums by myself. It's one of my favorite activities. Yeah. It's so fun. Um, I love just being alone, which I think is also an incredible skill that a lot of people don't have that you also have. Big time. Uh, And I think we both got that a lot in the last couple of years too. Oh yeah. Plenty. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think we we just learned how to be alone better and, and more joyfully. Um, and I we both do tons of things alone that most people probably never do alone. It's true. And, you know, I've, I go to dinner alone, I see movies alone, I vacationed alone, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's truly fine. You, you can be a friend to yourself, you really can. And it is a skill that takes practice, but it's, it's possible. And when people are like, Oh, I could never do that. I'd be so embarrassed. It's just like, no one's looking at you. No one cares. No, no one cares. Yeah. And if and they I are, they're thinking, Oh, I was just gonna say and if they are, they're thinking, wow, look at that beautiful woman with so much self confidence. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I famously went on a, a three month solo road trip. So yeah. Talk about I did it. Time. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's the ultimate aloneness alone in the woods. Are you kidding? <laughs> I thought of, I, I kept thinking about all the people who die in national parks the whole time you were on your trip. <laughs> and I didn't want to say because I didn't want to scare you. I didn't know about I that about it before. I was going to say, I now know all about like the missing 411 for people that don't know about this. Like it, a lot of people go missing in national parks and there's like several conspiracy theories around that. I think it's pretty normal. There's, it's dangerous. But um, you can look up podcasts like Missing 411 to hear more about that. Um, But I did not look that stuff, that kind of stuff up before I left on my trip. I waited until I was done. Well, I read about it the whole time you were gone. And when when you would be gone for like, when you'd be like out of pocket for like a few days, I was kind of a wreck. (laughs) That's so sweet. Probably me and your mom, except I was like, going down K-holes about how, how many people like die in the woods and how, oh, did you know this? And one national park is it, it might be Yellowstone. Like you can murder someone. And that's because there's this rule that 
if you're charged with murder, you have to go in front of a jury of your peers. And those people have to live within, I think it's a hundred of miles of where the murder occurred. And in Yellowstone, nobody lives a hundred miles within that because of the size of the national park. So you could actually kill someone and get away with it. And I, I thought about that a lot. So anyway, you're safe. that's, uh, (laughs) That's why it's my favorite park. But yeah, I I am alive. You are alive. Thank God we're alive together. You are such an incredible person. I'm so, so happy to have you in my life. I couldn't think of a better friend. And I, I just look forward to so many more happier years together. <laughs> Yay. And, you know, even though we've had hard years, we've always had fun together. And We've always, we can make the most out of any situation together. And we both would laugh and laugh talking about how 2020 was still better than 2019. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. This is is important (laughs) because obviously 2020 was a horrifically globally bad year. But for me and Sam, we would whisper basically like 2020 was just hands down a better year than 2019 for us. So absolutely. And yeah, I mean, look at us now, like we're both doing very well and have been through colossal change, but like you and me, we're still solid. And that's like to have these adult relationships that are just steady and dependable. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. They're so important. They're so important. So absolutely. You are my family. You are my family too. And you know, before we go, I just want to ask you, what's your mood? My mood? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I feel very joyful talking to you, must say. Yes. You always put a spring in my step. And But before we talked, I think I was feeling contentment, which is incredible, honestly. It's a wonderful feeling. Oh, my feeling. God. Wow. Yeah. That's so rare. Because I, you know, I got a good amount of work done today. And unfortunately that's still like how I determine if a day was successful or unsuccessful, hate myself for that, but such is life. Um, went to a yoga class this evening. And so I always feel good after yoga, which is, you know, luckily since it's my whole life. (laughs) And even though my, seamless sushi disappeared and I had to eat sad toast for dinner. It's still fine. It's still fine because mm-hmm. I got 25% off my next order. So silver linings. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> what is it's your all mood? about those silver linings. So I too feel just so much more joyous now that I get to, I got to talk to you for an hour, um, which we do all the time, by the way, I think that my, you know, I got to say that my mood the last couple of days and today has been hopeful. And for me, that's a really big deal. Cause I, I don't feel that way a ton. And like just the other yesterday, when I was feeling that way, I actually like closed my eyes and, and focused in on that feeling. Cause I was like, yeah. you have to appreciate when you feel excited about life. And I, I do, I'm in a new place. I'm enjoying it here. I'm so happy to be here and I'm excited. So that that's my mood lately. Well, you just have nothing but opportunity in front of you and the ability to create 
whatever you want. And that that is so fun and so exciting. And I can't wait to come to Austin and go to creepy antique shops with you and buy kooky yes. stuff for your kooky home and yes. eat breakfast tacos. <laughs> yes, we're going to have so many breakfast tacos together. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see you in person again, which should be in a couple of months. And I love you so much. And I'm so happy you're here. I Everybody needs to go read Samantha's amazing work. Her website is samanthajstallard.com. You can find her tweets at sjstallard and Instagram, which uh, she just made public because it's been private for a very long time, is at yes. Samantha J. Stallard. So please go check I, her out. That's something my therapist made me do because I'm giving up control. So, wow. I know. I'm growing. She's, she controls your life. No, just kidding. That's, that's great. No, no, no she should. I, I'd pay her triple to make all of my decisions. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Sam, thank you so much again for being here. And thank you everyone for listening to Cruel Summer Book Club. If you like this podcast, please take a few minutes of your time to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and make sure you subscribe. It will really help me reach more listeners. So I'd really appreciate it. And you can find more of my work at cruelsummerbookclub.substack.com. That's uh, where the newsletter lives. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jilla Thrilla. And thank you again for listening. I'll see you next week with another conversation about change. And take care of your heart. <laughs>